Alright, hello everybody. My name is Casey, and I've never seen Jingle All the Way all the way through. Hi, my name is Zach, and the only thing that's on my Christmas list is a 4K Blu-ray of The Santa Claus 2, signed by Tim Allen. And you're listening to Celluloid Jam, a.k.a. 2020, the, the worst, worst year, year in, in movies? This is uh, part two of our Holiday Jam series, in which we are discussing all the festive and Christmas offerings that 2020 has to offer. Today we're going to be discussing three different Christmas films. Uh, these three movies are all about Christmas. Uh, we're going to be discussing Happiest Season, Princess Switch 2, Switched Again, and Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. These three films are some of the most entertaining that I've seen so far that are related to the holiday season. And, you know, yeah, I feel like this is going to be a vast improvement from our last offerings that we've had. I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. I didn't tell my parents I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. They're there. You're so brave. The first film we're going to be talking about today is called Happiest Season. It's streaming on Hulu and stars Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. And it's one of the best Christmas films that I have seen in a long time. It actually kind of feels like a real movie to me. Yeah, this took me by surprise. Um... I would say, yeah, the best one of the best Christmas films in the past couple years. There have been movies like Klaus that was on Netflix last year, and even The Christmas Chronicles, the first one with Kurt Russell, that was a bit of a guilty pleasure for me, but Happiest Season just came out swinging. So Happiest Season, uh, if you don't know the plot, it is about uh, a woman named Abby, played by Kristen Stewart. Uh, she is in a relationship with her girlfriend. I, I think they've been together for at least a year, maybe two. Uh, and her girlfriend invites her to, uh, her girlfriend Harper invites her to go to uh, Harper's family for Christmas. And so she agrees. But when they're almost there, Harper tells Abby that uh, she has not come out to her parents. Um, Harper's parents do not know that she's a lesbian. They don't know that she has a girlfriend. Uh, and Harper has told Abby that, or Harper has told her parents that Abby is her orphan roommate. So uh, they, so Abby kind of goes along with the charade, even though she's not super happy about it. Um, and it is kind of a... And there are like a lot of lighthearted moments, but there are also a lot of very like serious moments as well. And I thought the blend of those was done very well. Happiest season seems like it's coming more from a personal place mm -hmm. and an earnest perspective that I haven't seen before. And it's great that it was done this well, too. Yeah. And I think it's important to know, like, I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community, and I feel like it's really hard to categorize this movie because it is portraying an experience that is very unique to the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, you could try to put these two characters, like, through the lens of, like, a heteronormative relationship. Like, well, what if one of these characters was a man? Well, then how would you feel about the situation? And it's like, you just can't do that because this experience is so particular 
to uh, someone in a queer relationship. So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? Happiest Season was directed by Clea Duvall. No relation to Robert Duvall or Shelley Duvall, but she has acted in many films in the late 90s, early 2000s, films like Identity, one of my personal favorites, The Faculty, Can't Hardly Wait, where she played very angsty kind of roles. And she is also a member of the LGBTQ community. This is not her first film, but she does a very good job. This came from a personal story because she's one of the writers, so a lot of the film is taken from her own experiences. I'm sure it's dramatized for the sake of comedy or the movie, but she wrote it with Mary Holland, who plays the character Jane, one of Harper's sisters in the film, and Jane was my favorite. There are a lot of really funny moments. Um, I really liked uh, Dan Levy's character. I for I'm forgetting his name, but he plays uh, <laughs> Kristen Stewart's uh, friend and, uh, you know, kind of like her sidekick, I would almost say in a way. He's got his own thing going on, but he's the one who shows up to, you know, help her and uh, talk her through things. And But he also has, like, really funny moments. Um, yeah, I he was my favorite character in the film. And he's not yeah, even, this... like, part of the main plot. One of my favorite moments of the film comes from his character talking to Abby, Kristen Stewart's character, about how everybody has different stories of coming out. So he says that Abby had a very supportive family, but his was not. And he does kind of, you know, what Harper does at the end of the film isn't the best, but he tries to rationalize that everybody goes through that experience differently. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, it was a very nice moment. It was a very human moment. Yeah, there are a lot of moments in the film that are very serious. Um, when I think of a lot of other, say, you know, romantic comedies or Christmas romantic comedies, I can't think of any that get quite that serious. Um, in two of my favorites, Love Actually and The Holiday, there is like a plot line where, you know, like a cheating plot line. But that's about as like serious as I can think of any of those of any of uh, Christmas rom-coms ever getting. And this felt much more serious. Um but again, there was also a lot of funny moments, and it balanced the like lighthearted, fun moments with the serious moments very well. Mm -hmm. This is definitely more grounded than like a Hallmark Christmas movie is. Mm -hmm. There seems to be like a lot of great care put into this because this movie has a lot of heart in it. Everybody in the cast does a fantastic job because you have Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis. We haven't even mentioned Aubrey Plaza's character. Oh, yeah, she's another one of my faves. Um, Aubrey Plaza plays the, a character named Riley, who is uh, one of Harper's former flames, uh, Harper's first girlfriend, essentially. But again, no one knew that Riley and Harper were together either. Um, mm -hmm. And she becomes sort of a friend to Abby, Kristen Stewart's character, while Kristen Stewart is sort of grappling with the same thing that Riley grappled with when she and Harper were in high school. She's also yeah, just super cool, like a really cool lady. <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter were very much on Riley's side and wanted Kristen Stewart to end up with her at the end of the movie. 
I was about to bring that up because I've seen that discourse too on Twitter, and I could totally see it. It's pretty justified. I thought Abby and Riley had a very good rapport, and they mm-hmm. had a lot in common, so it makes sense that they would automatically form a quick connection. Yeah, it's hard because with, you know, with Harper's behavior in Happiest Season, it's it's not as if she's bad girlfriend to Abby most of the time it's this this is just something very personal for her that's more about her. like she says this in the movie it's more about like her than it is about Abby like she's hiding herself not Abby um and so I always kept going back and forth like do I want am I mad at Harper am I not mad at Harper like she's going through a situation that I just you know can't relate to but yeah, I also see why people want her to be, why she, they want Kristen Stewart to end up with Riley, because Riley was cool. Uh, really off topic here, but every time we mention Riley, I just think of Riley from National Treasure. Bring him in. Someone needed to end up with Riley from National Treasure. Does he end up with anybody in the movies? At the end of the second movie, somebody recognizes him from his book, so it's implied that he gets a girl... <laughs> You're him, Riley Poole. I recognize you from your book. Uh, will you sign it? Actually, I'm the going real to change what I want se- for Christmas. I would like a 4K restoration of Natural Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, signed by Justin Bartha and Nicolas Cage. The real book of secrets is how did Justin Bartha get a woman with his book? That's not funny. <laughs> I guess anything else to say about Happy Season? I will say I do have one sort of critique of the film mm-hmm. you know it is does have a lot of like lighthearted rom-com tropes about it um and like i've been saying this whole time i think it balances it really well with the serious stuff however i always when i was watching i was like what is the deal with this dad like he's a politician and he's running for something and that's why Harper does not want to come out as a lesbian and i'm like okay is this family republican <laughs> Is that or is this existing in a universe where this is like just a different political party, you know, that her coming out as a lesbian would be disruptive? That was the one thing that kind of, I guess, bothered me that it was like, you know, apl- implying that the family wouldn't be tolerant of her coming out, but not being super specific as to why. I just saw it as, oh, it kind of the way they acted sometimes maybe they were republican maybe it was a different party the biggest thing though was that they couldn't say it because mm-hmm. he was running for a political position so i i just accepted it as as the movie presented it they just they weren't even religious it seemed at no point did they go to a church service or anything, you know, that would have helped drive home the point of... Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter why Harper was afraid. Like, the most important thing is that we know she was afraid to tell her parents. But I would have just liked a little more context as to why. Definitely, beyond the definitely. fact that her dad was running for something. My final thoughts on Happiest Season It is one of the best Christmas movies I've seen in a long time. It is definitely going to be on my seasonal rotation of of Christmas movies that I watch every year. The daughter Jane is the standout for the movie for me. A lot of her lines landed very well. Mm -hmm. Very well directed, very well written. 
one of the best entries um, that Hulu has offered this year. They've also put out the film Palm Springs, which was very good. Yeah, they seem to have a, a different release strategy than Netflix with when it comes to movies. Netflix releases a bunch of just like subpar films. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't really know of any films that Hulu has released this year besides Palm Springs and Happiest Season. And But both of them were really good. They were also the streaming service that got the rights to Parasite. So they got nothing but hits. And I'm sure there have been some turkeys there that aren't, are just not coming to my head. But Happiest Season, it was, it was wonderful. Oh, they also released The Binge this year. So oh. we haven't seen that, but I heard, heard it's not that great. I do still want to... We'll, we will watch it eventually for this podcast, probably. So maybe Hulu's not just turning out nothing but hits. But yeah, they... Uh, they had a couple good ones this year. I would give Happy Season three and a half stars, maybe four out of five, somewhere around that. It was definitely that good. Like on my list of like 2020 films ranked, it's like no, it's it's not quite in the top ten, but it is like 12 or 13. Like it's a great film. Yeah, I'm gonna give it four out of five stars. Great cast. Script was pretty sharp, um, very sweet story, but also very serious story, all wrapped up in Christmas. Four out of five stars. Great film. Great film. I am scared that if I tell them who I really am, I will lose them. Do you know how painful it's been to watch the person that I love hide me? I am not hiding you. I am hiding me. Everybody's story is different. Just because Harper isn't ready doesn't mean she doesn't love you. Next up, we are going to be discussing Princess Switch 2 Switched Again. You want us to do what? We switch back. You said you needed more time with Kevin. Do you really think we could pull it off? Again? The Princess Switch Switched Again follows the continuing stories of Stacey and Margaret, both roles played by Vanessa Hudgens, when Duchess Margaret inherits the throne to Montenero, she hits a rough patch with her boyfriend from the first film named Kevin, who's a baker. Through some hijinks that are ensuing, they switch places again. However, this time, there is a third Vanessa Hudgens thrown into the mix, a blonde-haired Vanessa Hudgens named Fiona, who is the cousin of Duchess Margaret who also wants to take a little bit of the throne. She doesn't want to take her place, but she just needs it for a crime that she is committing temporarily. So I don't think it is as strong as the first Princess Switch film. Um, oh, are you saying that the first one has actual merit? No. Uh, <laughs> um, with the first Princess Switch film, it's just kind of... A very silly, bonkers, uh, the prince and the pauper kind of story. I love, the, I really enjoy the first Princess Switch. It is total cotton candy for your brain. Stuff doesn't make sense. There are parts where they're like literally like lights in the shots and C stands and stuff. Great. Vanessa Hudgens, former Disney star, has had a nice relationship in the past couple years with Netflix. She's released The First Princess Switch and The Night Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Night spelled like K-N-I-G-H-T. The Night Before Christmas, brilliant piece of cinema. I my favorite thing about The Night Before Christmas is when 
it's like clearly they thought of the title of the film before they thought of anything else. Those are my favorite kinds of movies. <laughs> like, oh, man, I thought of a great title for a film. Let's build a whole story around it. Brilliant piece of cinema. Um, unrateable. You know, I just give it like a little heart on Letterbox and say, like, listen, this happened. <laughs> Something about Princess Switch Switched Again should have worked. It should have worked. The idea of bringing in a third Vanessa Hudgens character, brilliant. I love it. Well, when you say but, should have worked, do you mean it should have worked in a so bad it's good way? Yes, yes. It should have built built on the crazy. That's what all these other movies do. They're just, they're bonkers. They're, people behave so bizarrely and not in the way anyone would real life. And that's what works so well. And you could say that about this film too. But something about the sequel I thought was boring. It shouldn't have been boring. I don't know if you experienced this, but I had kind of a hard time paying attention to it and it should have been great so it's it's not memorable because it's kind of we've seen it before and like what can you add to this kind of story yeah you, well they tried to add something to it they added a third vanessa hudgens <laughs> which is i will admit the most fun scenes or the most fun situations that come out of the movie the the princess switch switched again looked at the princess switch and said yes and oh dear lord there are three of them i don't know i guess the fiona character for me wasn't doing a whole lot for me i think it's i think it's kind of funny because vanessa hudgens is most known for being gabriella from the high school musical mm -hmm. movies and fiona is essentially just sharpay evans if so when you look at it through that lens it's kind of it's kind of fun if sharpay evans was a talentless hack She's very gifted. She worked very hard to be the lead in the musical. And then these gosh darn little upstarts who don't even really care about the theater showed up and stole the spotlight from her. Anyway. <laughs> um, Stacy seems to be... Stacy, who is the American Vanessa Hudgens, mm -hmm. seems to be leading this pretty good life as a princess overnight. Her and Edward. Yeah, he's a prince of a different country i think like they're like these are like a a section of the world with you know many fake small countries right next to each other and they all speak with british accents but they seem to be doing well yeah yeah they they are i think that's another reason why i thought it was kind of boring actually because stacy herself didn't seem to have a ton of problems like her only problem seemed to be that she was too busy and edward uh felt like he wasn't getting enough time with her uh and then i mean of course she ends up having problems when she switches with margaret and then stacy as margaret ends up getting kidnapped <laughs> um but that's later in the movie so she doesn't have a lot you know her love life's fine her person her work life seems to be fine um edward you know is a little like mopey about the fact that he doesn't get to see stacy that much but like you know they're married he's not about to just like break up with her over this <laughs> um and meanwhile margaret's problems are like oh she's you know queen and she's oh we forgot to mention she has this new guy who's kind of into her yeah antonio who you know for the first half three quarters of the movie honestly seems like the perfect fit for her really uh, i didn't get anything from him oh oh i liked him a lot actually at, at the beginning um, it's definitely a Han situation from Frozen where, you know, he's not what he seems, but when he's pretending to just be like a good guy, they have a lot in common. He's her advisor. 
uh, that's the kind of man, you know, as a queen, she would need by her side is someone who can advise her on, you know, diplomacy and, you know, sort of things like that. And that was the role he served for the former king. Um, and he, he also just seems very sweet and charming. And I like Kevin the baker, but practically speaking, he lives in another country <laughs> and he's a baker. <laughs> where, where is this set? England or a made up country? It's what set in... Just go to this so there Montenegro. are two... Montenegro. Yes, yes. It's set in Montenegro. Why doesn't he just go and like start a little shop in Montenegro? There's also He'll get another. The there's also another country I think called Belgravia. I think that's the country Stacy and Edward are in charge of. Do you know how much traction that area would get? Yeah, and he has a daughter who's just like, please let me be a princess. Please. <laughs> she loves the hijink. She loves just all of the misunderstandings that are happening. She's assisting with keeping Stacy's husband occupied. Whatever the actual like switch, quote unquote, switch mm-hmm. happens, like 50 minutes into the movie, that's whenever the movie's trying to say, hey, remember the first one? We can, we can do it again. See? Mm-hmm. And I do kind of like the level on how confusing it gets and the confrontation in the church whenever they're like, you know, that's not the real Duchess Margaret. And she's like, I am the real Duchess Margaret. That kind of reminded me of thrillers where a character has to shoot one. It's like, which one's the real character? Oh, I cannot wait for the looper edition of Princess Switch <laughs> when the princess in the present has to shoot her future self. <laughs> Ooh, I would love it if they get Vanessa Hudgens in old age makeup. That should have been the finale, but since this is a Netflix romance hallmarky movie, it ends with Kevin and Margaret getting back together in an airport. Yep, this is very much uh, a hallmark level film. And we've said it so much throughout this series, and... The more we hear it, or the more that I hear it, the more it loses its meaning. But that's exactly what it is. It's, it is a Hallmark-esque film. And we all know what a, I feel like a Hallmark vibe is. You know, you got uh, an obviously low budget. Well, actually, I don't even know if you know Princess Witch necessarily has a low budget because the um, dresses are gorgeous. But the story's very formulaic. It's like they're just like... It's like a Mad Lib script. You just fill in the the blank with things like there once was a story of a write down princess and then she met someone who looked just like her <laughs> and then they fell in love. One of them fell in love with a baker and the other <laughs> fell in love with a prince. You know, it's like they, they're just kind of filling in boxes and that's okay. Um, there's also... I don't know. They're obviously not shooting these movies on film. <laughs> yeah, these movies probably take a good, like, two-week shoot. Yeah. And then you're just done. I will say a Princess Switch sometimes feels slightly better than a Hallmark film. I think the actors they get are pretty good, um, for the most part. I don't know if I'd call Vanessa Hudgens good in this or she's played she, three different roles <laughs> just because you work a lot doesn't mean that it's good quantity over quality <laughs> was vanessa hudgens okay hot take was vanessa hudgens ever actually a good actress uh, she's i mean she's good in spring breakers I, I read a review of this that was like why didn't vanessa hudgens doing the fiona impression or the, the fiona 
like act. She should have just like been her character from Spring Breakers. <laughs> she should have brought that in. Get on your goddamn knees while I shoot your mother face out. At least she looks like she's having fun whenever she's Fiona. Yeah, yeah, she's having fun. She's relishing the snob attitude. I think they're all having fun. I feel yeah. like, but you know, this might just be me fantasizing about things, but I feel like behind the scenes of these movies, I feel like it's probably very chill and calm. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you like, with high art films, all you hear about are stories about directors, like, screaming and people crying and being and overworked. Doing takes over and over. Exactly. And with this, I'm sure they just are like, all right, let's let's action. Okay, cut. That was great. Uh, one more for safety. Okay, that was great. We're good. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you might be right, honestly. Um, and everybody's that, happy, you know? It's just this one. You ex sometimes... I hate to say this going in with these movies because I know that a lot of hard work goes into them, mm -hmm. but you go into movies like this knowing that they're not going to be high art. Mm -hmm. So you just hope that they're fun to watch. Yeah. And I think that was my problem with this one is I didn't have fun watching it. Um, brief aside, we watched a film uh, the other night with some of our friends via Netflix party slash teleparty called Christmas Catch which that's a great film. That's on Netflix from 2018, and that is a great group watch. That is a hilarious film. Not trying to be, but it is. Well, it is trying to be funny sometimes, but the actual jokes aren't funny. It's the... <laughs> it's just the whole movie is funny. I will say watching Princess Switch, among other Christmas movies, has ruined my Netflix algorithm to the point that it led me to Christmas Catch. So in that way, in that regards, I owe it something. <laughs> Um, final thoughts on the movie. I just don't think it's as wacky like as the uh, first pr Princess Switch, which is weird because they added more elements to it. Um, and I, but overall, I found it strangely boring, and that makes me sad. Two out of five stars. Pretty much the same, the exact same feelings for this movie as yours. I'm gonna give it one and a half stars out of five. Should have had more Vanessa Hudgens to keep my attention. No, army. I wish, I, <laughs> I hope that they keep making sequels until every single character is played by Vanessa Hudgens. Oh dear lord, there are three of them. So the last film we are going to be talking about today is uh, Netflix's sort of big budget Christmas film of the year, uh, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. What's wrong, Grandpa? Had a perfect life. Loving family and a magical shop till an old friend took it all. Zach, do you want to tell us the plot to Jingle Jangle? I'd be delighted to. So Jingle Jangle is about a toy maker, Geronicus, who is very old and past his prime of making toys because of his toy plans getting stolen. He grows into a very sad figure, much like Luke Skywalker does in The Last Jedi. But as the years go by, he meets his granddaughter named Journey, who is full of optimism and just believing in the magic that he holds. So it's up to her trying to, you know, encourage him to go back to his old ways and actually believing in himself. The movie is set in kind of the late 1800s, 
it exists it exists in its own time yeah it's kind of steampunk in a way but the aesthetic is reminiscent of recent musicals also it's a musical yeah it's reminiscent of things like the greatest showman you have a lot of different mediums of the way the story is told because mortal engines (laughs) the movie starts out with you know as a grandmother telling her grandchildren like a story and Mm -hmm. it's like i don't i think y'all are old enough for this story and she pulls out a book and it's the story that we as an audience see there's a lot of different things some animation is used and that might be those might be my favorite moments Mm -hmm. because it just it's very artistically impressive Everything else, I think, is a nice, magical time. My thoughts about Jingle Jangle can be summed up by a New York Times article that ranked all of Netflix's Christmas films. Um, They put Jingle Jangle at number one, and they said, Jingle Jangle is Netflix's best offering this Christmas season, but it isn't great. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my thoughts. Is this, it's the best Christmas film Netflix released this year, but I, it's just kind of okay for me. Um, I think that's because it's very much aimed at children. Yes. Um, I'd, I mean, you're absolutely right. I would say the perfect audience for this movie would be families like that have children that are aged under 10. That is the perfect demographic for this movie. Yeah, they say a lot of stuff in the movie, like, the square root of impossible is possible. You know, the kind of zip-zappy phrases that kids just love, I assume. I Maybe. I don't know. We were kind of talking about this earlier, about how, you know, Robert Rodriguez made movies for kids and you have like spy kids which i think if i watched that as an adult never having seen as a kid i would enjoy it and then you have Mm -hmm. like the adventures of shark boy and lava girl which i watched as a child and i didn't like it then either (laughs) and i think it has like very similar energy to jingle jangle like Mm -hmm. it's just like about you know kids imagining things and like using the power of belief Mm -hmm. to fuel magic and that that theme kind of comes from the Polar Express too. Yeah, I love I love the Polar Express. I'm like one of the few people who really love that movie and I feel like they handle the theme of believing better because mm-hmm. the way Jingle Jangle does it, it's kind of like the way Peter Pan does it. Yeah. Well, if you say you don't believe in fairies like Tinkerbell dies and it's kind of used in that way with the inventions Geronicus makes. I guess I was going to say uh, Peter Pan's almost a different thing. Um, really? Yeah, because, you know, you do have the, like, you need to believe in fairies or the fairies will die. Something about that logic connects for me. But <laughs> Jingle Jangle was like, you got to believe. So then you'll have the magic to invent things that are mechanical and scientific. And the connection just was not there for me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's my big overarching um you know, critique of the film. And it's not even necessarily critique. It's just a movie that is very much aimed at like a young, young audience. And that's hard for me as a grown up to enjoy. Do you admire the things like the production design of the movie, the costume design? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love the the costumes are gorgeous. The sets are great. Um the animated sequences are beautiful. Like like the, you said, those were your favorites. 
uh, they were my mm-hmm. favorites too. I thought those were like beautifully done. Um, some of the music I like, nothing stood out to me as much as in other musicals, but like, that's okay. You know, maybe if I just listened to the soundtrack, like if these songs were playing on the radio, then they would stick with me more. Um, well, that's the thing. Like two songs, however, did stand out for me. Uh, Magic Man G, which is sung by Keegan-Michael Key's character, who's mm-hmm. the villain or one of the villains of the film. His song is kind of similar to Friend Like Me from Aladdin. He is having a blast in this movie. He gives my favorite performance. And the other one was Miles and Miles from the male lady, or the post lady, whoever she was, who has the hots for the main character, Geronicus. A lot of the songs really don't stand out that much, and they feel like retreads of The Greatest Showman. Yeah, I could see that. Another thing, I guess, <laughs> this is something that I just could not stop thinking about when watching the movie, is that a lot of the things are Geronicus Jangle's fault. Um, like, the reason that... What's the what's Keegan-Michael Key's character name? Gustafsson? Yes, Gustafsson. The reason Gustafsson, you know, goes out on his own um, and steals Dronicus's, uh notebook full of designs, the reason he does that is because uh, Dronicus is neglecting him and uh, Gustafsson feels really ignored. And that's never really kind of acknowledged in the film. Um, you know, in a, in a way, Gustafsson does have like the devil on his shoulder character. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this matador toy named don juan that uh geronicus brought to life with his you know special magic invention juice that he got in the mail that's a whole weird thing that's never really explained (laughs) he brings the matador to life (laughs) and then the matador is like i don't want there to be millions of me i don't want to be a toy that has like a million copies of me i want to be a one and only so um, he, you know, sort of devil on his shoulders, Gustafsson into stealing uh, Dronicus's book, books of designs. And then uh, for the next 30 years, Gustafsson is the leading toy maker. And that's and then Dronicus sort of like loses his ability to invent and design things. Um, and it's never really acknowledged that, um, you know, maybe like he shouldn't have been ignoring Gustafsson so much because like there's a part in the beginning of the movie where Gustafsson tries to get his attention like five times it is painful to watch <laughs> um and then at the end you know when Gustafsson gets arrested Dronicus like gives him a present like oh I was you know gonna give this to you you know 30 years ago before you broke my heart and yeah that's like, right he was gonna give him like the missing piece that his toy needed to work and I'm like, too little, too late, man. <laughs> this it's, this boy seems like he needs a father figure. <laughs> it's weird that Gustafsson gets arrested at all because, you know, through events in the movie, mm-hmm. the climax of the movie is very low stakes because Gustafsson goes to Geronicus to try and get back the toy that he stole. Gustafsson goes there with the police and goes, he stole the toy that I worked so hard on. And then the little girl, Journey, actually disproves him. And then the police are still like, oh, well, 
Looks like you're gonna get arrested now. I mean, he did ruin Geronicus's life and stole all his designs, so it does make sense that he gets arrested. Yeah, I guess but he gets his comeuppance. I guess, I don't know, I just wish that Geronicus acknowledged the fact that he was neglecting Gustafsson back in the day. <laughs> Because this movie so much focuses on Geronicus and the fact that he's like this sad sack, but it kind of, you know, it plays it out like none of these things are his fault. You know, this bad stuff just happened to him. Um, But it didn't just happen to him. (laughs) This could have all been avoided. I think it's very well acted. There's not a bad performance in it. Like I mentioned earlier, the sets all look incredible. The costumes look extraordinary. The finale comes like 40 minutes like before the end of the movie because there's this huge scene where they have to get back a toy from Gustafsson and it's this very big action sequence where these two kids are like going through a tunnel like 100 miles an hour and they have to go at the right angle before they go and hit a fan so they can get through the blades and there's a huge explosion and it's very bombastic. And then the scene that immediately follows is like a 20 minute long scene with Geronicus and his daughter. And it's very reserved. It's very quiet. But coming off the heels of this huge scene, it just it feels like the pacing is all wrong. Yeah, the movie is too long, in my opinion. (laughs) Yes, um, it could have been cut like a good 20, 25 ish minutes to give this movie a nice 90 minute feel. Yeah, bare minimum, like. 15 minutes um the thing about like jingle jangle is that there's so much christmas movie in this christmas movie like they want to they want you to feel that you know magical feeling so they have a lot of whimsical moments i compared it to a house that has christmas lights any house that has christmas lights is going to look good but whenever a house has too many christmas lights and it's so colorful and vibrant it kind of hurts your eyes to look at it, it seems over the top, and yeah. Jingle Jangle wanted to be over the top, which sometimes is too much. It's crazy how many good things there are in this movie. Like, we've already talked about the costumes, the design, the animation, you know, songs, choreography. The actors are great. This, like, the singing's great. Everything in this movie is, on an individual level, amazing. But something about it just isn't jellied. And I think for me, it does come down to the script. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also like a lot of moments in the movie where I feel like just nothing is happening. There's a lot of really dry, like when Journey first arrives at her grandpa's, there's a lot of really driving home that her grandpa is a very like curmudgeonly hermit kind of guy. I don't know. (laughs) I almost wish he was like more Scrooge-like. Instead of a very passive, neurotic man, yeah, I wish he was more grumpy. He just seems annoyed. But stab all the like things that establish him as that neurotic, grumpy man were for me very repetitive. Like mm-hmm. it just kind of kept going, and I'm like, okay, when are we gonna get to the next part of the story? It is. It's not a bad movie by any means. It's it, it's not, and I think we need to keep like driving yeah. that point home because. Every time I just look at this movie, I'm like, wow, this movie looks like so much work went into mm-hmm. it. But just, it's just not like all the way perfect. You know, it's not a movie like Elf. Elf is very simple and it mm-hmm. starts out with this very grand, elaborate North Pole environment. But then it holds back whenever it goes to New York and the character Buddy the Elf is 
you know, clashing with, you know, average everyday New York City. Mm -hmm. Elf is just a magical blend of a movie that is, you know, it feels like it was actually made more for adults than kids, but because it manages to be PG or whatever, it can also be watched by kids. I don't know. Normally when we watch these Christmas movies and they're rated like G, and but they're for adults, I'm like, movies for adults should never be rated G. That is the midnight of the Magnolia problem, <laughs> um, uh, if you listen to our first episode about this. But um, yeah, Elf just has so many like adult things in it. Like, child out of wedlock, and um, grumpy dad, uh, negligent, like, absent- Buddy getting drunk at work. Yeah, and kind of an absent father figure to uh, Buddy's brother. Um, a lot of very, like, adult things, but, like, I watched this as a kid, and I loved it for kid reasons, and now I watched it as an adult, and I, like, still, like, love it for adult reasons. Jing- On I've- the flip side, you have, like, Jingle Jangle- that seems like it could have aired on Cartoon Network. Yeah, Jingle Jangle, you know, does have a lot of, you know, almost a, like adult elements to it as well. Like a lot of the movie focuses on Geronicus, um, <laughs> you know, about as much as it focuses on Journey trying to help him. And yeah, I don't know if that comes back to like what I'm talking about earlier, where there's a lot of like repetitiveness in establishing him as a you know grumpy old man, um, or if they wanted him to be seen as more of the main character. I'm gonna bring up this quote that I read on an article the other day about the Netflix film Klaus. Mm-hmm. Um, in it, writer Ethan Anderson writes, "We're just a little more accepting of mediocrity with holiday movies." Because they bring a warm feeling to our heart when it's cold outside. Mm. And there's a lot of truth to that. There are very, I would say, honestly speaking, like at least 15 Christmas movies that are actually good. And then you have other ones that you just watch out of, you know, nostalgia reasons. They bring you back to a simpler time. Yeah, I guess with a movie like Jingle Jangle, even though it could have been better... I still feel like it would be a wonderful watch for a family. Yeah, it is definitely a great watch for a family. And yeah, I'll say it again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's an okay movie for me. Mm -hmm. But it'd be a great movie for children. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it at all. I give it three out of five stars. Jingle Jangle, Uh, three out of five. I also give Jingle Jangle a Christmas journey, three out of five. But I would have given it more stars if it were in any way affiliated with Ed and Nettie's Jingle Jingle Jangle. I never liked Ed Ed and Nettie. (gasps) Okay, we are ending this podcast right now. I mean, I watched all of it, but I always hated it. You know when you're a kid and you just... I mean, maybe you didn't have this problem, but I had like five channels (laughs) growing up, so I watched whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's why I watch so much Gilligan's Island. <laughs>